I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. This is not going well already. All right, well, welcome to Motel Hell slash BDMFT. Yeah. We are recording from our bunker, which is why everything sounds so shitty right now. Yeah. Uh, because we're hiding from the contagion. Yeah, so we don't want to date this episode too much, but also we don't care and it doesn't matter. No, but, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're recording in a different space because of health reasons that we'll get into in a second. And uh, we are recording for the first time in months because of health reasons we're about to get into. And we're happy to be back. We're going to be covering best records of 2013 tonight, uh, which, you know, we the thought... The series that won't end. Yeah, we thought we were going to get through 10 years uh, in one episode some How many more ago. years do we have? Uh, this is one, two, three, four, six. Six more so, years. But we'll be doing some combo, um, uh, you know, year things in the near future. This is just 2013, I think, is the last long year as far as there's a lot of good releases I want to get through. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. So basically, the short thing, I guess, is what well, you want to talk a little about, about what was happening with you. I'm, I'm Ben Beardo, by the way. And, and uh, I'm Dick Lovetti. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> long story short, uh, I went septic again, could have died. At one point, my body temperature dropped to 95 degrees, which was real spooky. Yeah, it's a coward's temperature. Yeah. Not a good place to be. Um, so, not to get too much into it, but it turned out I had a hole in my stomach, which is also a new word I learned, which is super fun, called a fistula. <laughs> <Sure> <laughs> which sounds like a like a, a good fisting time on a vampire. Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, but um, essentially, it's just I have like... come fistula. <laughs> I have come from Transylvania to fist your bottom. <laughs> come to fist your butt. Yeah. So anyway. So, uh, that, that'll be relevant to a movie we watched. <laughs> big, big old hole in my stomach, which turned out to be two holes, and uh, over a month in the hospital. Well, not over a month, but nearly a month in the hospital. And twenty-seven uh, days, right? Yeah, uh, stretching over two different hospitals. Uh, not a good time. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was grim. I wouldn't say that it was ever touch and go, but it was certainly. Your mental sanity, stability <laughs> yeah. was 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 up and back, but yeah. So Ben's out. They weren't able to kill him. In in fact, you well, you're definitely not stronger, but you. I'm pretty sure I'm unkillable at this point. <laughs> but you are less full of holes. So I I I feel like uh, that Simpsons episode where they tell Mister Burns that he's got like he, like all of his diseases are stuck in a door like in a three stooges episode yeah. and he's like invincible <laughs> no no, no no if any one thing was to go wrong you would die immediately invincible <laughs> that's exactly how i feel yeah so um that's been pretty tight for ben it obviously prevented us from recording we were hoping we could bring in the microphone and laptop for a session or two but given that Ben had roommates for the majority of his stay and also just the difficulty of 
doing all that. It was and nonstop nurses and doctors yeah. coming in my room, which could have been three hours. Could have been fun. We and to that end, we're not going to interview any nurses or doctors, but we are going to do some more artist interviews. So we have our friend Dylan, who I think is going to be on on the show in the pretty near future. Yeah, he's great to it. Yeah, he's an incredible visual artist and uh, musical artist. Armistice in the Body, I think, is his, his band, right? I think it's now just Dylan Coverdale. Yeah, I Dylan. I think he dropped the name. He just put out a new EP, too. And you can check that out on Spotify or check out his uh, Instagram. But, yeah, check him out in advance. It's, like, really good sad boy music, but not in a corny way. We'll, we'll put his contact stuff in the description. Yeah, yeah, when we get when we get him on here. So we also are going to have, our, I think, our friend Ian is going to do uh, talk about his new life as a tattoo artist which is probably relevant to a lot of our listeners who are maybe addicted to getting tattoos or uh into people who draw dogs like their buttholes and stuff like that so he's a talented artist and an interesting guy he's got a big hanging dick and he's very handsome it's but he true. has taken ladies because i've been trying to sleep with him and it's no good so far no no frank can't close the deal the other thing that slowed us down was that now on top of ben's recurring medical issues i now have a new permanent medical issue (laughs) a fucking neurological disorder typically reserved for women over 50 called trigeminal neuralgia and it is uh, an issue when the main nerve in the side of your face starts to act up typically they think because a blood vessel is pushing against it wearing down the myelin sheath of the nerve so that when it touches when it becomes inflamed it shoots an electrical like pain into your face in increasing intensity and frequency so over the course of five days i was in the worst pain of my life and it was pretty fantastic uh, i wanted to die and now i'm on powerful anti-seizure medication so if i lose my train of thought or i sound <laughs> slightly more medicated than i had in the past that's partially because we're recording in a quiet kitchen trying not to wake up a one-year-old and also because I'm on new meds that I'm adjusting to. Stop lifting back the curtain. This is our coronavirus bunker. Yeah, and now we've got the coronavirus, which at any point could send the whole world into martial law. I'm supposed to be in Japan right now. I'm fucking furious. But I'm glad we didn't go in hindsight because we'd be stuck in Japan right now. So, uh, yes. But we're here and... We're, we're ready to make the most of it. Invincible. Yeah, invincible, as it were. We uh, we desperately want to tell you about the records that you missed, because you're an idiot. But we <laughs> mostly want to tell you about the movie we just watched, because we're idiots. So as we uh, scoped through like hundreds <laughs> of <laughs> hundreds of films on streaming networks, we picked the obvious choice, which was... Let, tr- me, let me just give you guys an idea. We were like... <laughs> Ooh, what about Tremors? Ooh, what about Urban Legends? Ooh, what was the other one? There was another Tremors one. two through five. Yeah, like so many movies that would have been so much better, even though you hate Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And uh, as a joke, I started playing Dracula three thousand. No, 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 no! It was never a joke. It was always serious. Oh, it's House <laughs> of the Devil. But yeah, we saw Dracula 3000, and as a joke, I said we should watch it, and then as a joke, he put it on, and as a joke, we had to watch it for an hour and a half. It was so bad. Uh, Easily one of the worst, but like seriously attempted movies I've ever seen, 
So it was directed by Daryl James Rude. Rude. In 2004. Directed as strong, but he was allegedly behind the camera. He was on scene. Part of what pulled us in was the cast, which is pretty exceptional. You have Casper Van Dien, famous for Starship Troopers and essentially Starship Troopers yeah. alone. Erica Alaniak, who's famous from the original run of Baywatch and being a Playboy bunny and also doing a bunch of other stuff, surprisingly um, active actress. You have Coolio. Needs no other explanation. It's Coolio. I will say that Coolio did have a cornrowed uh, mohawk. Well, that, that was, was pretty common for him at that Yeah, he, time. he always did some wild stuff with his cornrows, but this is like a straight, like, spikes. Like, if you've ever seen the Criterion Collection cover that Jay Shaw did, I'm pretty sure it was Jay Shaw, of Repo Man, those type of punk spikes, but they're cornrows, and Coolio had a special space hat that <laughs> allowed them to stick out, and it was deeply upsetting. You had oh uh, no, that was not important. Oh, and then Tom Lester Jr., who is probably best known as Debo from Friday, if you grew up when we grew up, or maybe you know him as the president in The Fifth Element, and also he's in The Dark Knight, Jackie Brown, Zootopia, uh, Goldmember, Little Nicky, Beverly Hills Cop, and Universal Soldier, Next Friday, Barbed Wire, which several of these actors were in, and Udo Kier, who's also in Barbed Wire, and, but is yeah. probably known from a bunch of other stuff. So, it was easily one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It was not as bad as Ginger Dead Man. There was definitely a slightly higher budget. Like, we were talking probably hundreds of dollars rather than tens of dollars. No, I think Gingerbread Man had a higher budget. No, Ginger Dead Man was in one room. This movie was in three different hallways. Yeah, and to be fair, they did do Day for Night in Ginger Dead Man, so... Yeah, and they also had Gary Busey only hammered for a very short period where this movie <laughs> had full actors for the full time. It, the thing that about it was, like... It played out like a sci-fi movie, like a Sharknado kind of thing, but they played it totally straight. And Coolio really, with the material that he had, did his very best. They all did their very best with the material yeah. they had. It was surprisingly good in that sense, but it was just so bad, because what they were working with. So the first thing was that Debo's character was named Hummer, but was also referred Humvee. to as Humvee, yeah. which are like... Hummer was the commercial, like, available version of the Humvee, which is the military vehicle, uh, but it was confusing. There was a lot of racially based humor and dialogue, but only of, like, the lowest common denominator type stuff. And like a lot of, like, crude sex jokes. Yeah, like, he... And, and, but not funny ones. Yeah, like, Debo sexually assaults this, what is supposed to be, younger woman, but is easily 60. <laughs> early on in the film and then when, after he kisses her he says once you go black you never go back and then talks about how his penis is larger than Casper Van Dien's and you're just like unnecessary like, this does not build the world this is just upsets me and they, they do one of my favorite B-movie things where like they don't have a budget to build a set for something so they have like a, like a wall behind two actors and that they just get super close to their face so they don't have to shoot anything else. And then they slowly pull away. No, 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 no. Just that beginning scene where they're supposed oh, to yeah. be flying their ship. So first of all, it's Dracula, but what with the space? Yeah. Okay. It basically plays out a lot like Alien. That hurts me for you to say. But it's not wrong. I, 
Ridley Scott just fell down steps somewhere. Well, that's good. He's making bad choices now, so. I, oh, okay. God. I'm sorry. Anyway, so they essentially have what looks like just like some kind of cool lighting effect outside of them, and they frame their the two characters' faces, and you can't see below their chin or above their hairline. So it's like, yeah, they're at a console, and you, we don't have to show you the inside of their ship. Or the we, console. Yeah, we just paid for this. We just paid to be able to shoot at this one factory. Yeah. So the, it's like a ton of profile shots while people are talking, and they're supposed to be at things, but you can't see them because they can't even afford, like, a mock-up computer. Like, it, it's... But... And that stuff is annoying, but if the dialogue had just been, like, two degrees better, it would have been more tolerable. But <laughs> it wasn't. When Coolio is being of... Well, spoilers. So, just be prepared, people. When Coolio is turned into a vampire about a third of the way... <laughs> Coolio turns into a vampire! He really does his best to be both threatening and weird, and, like, he kind of... I don't want to say nails it, but... Like, but as much as anyone could nail a part of the movie, he does. And is pretty good at being like a weirdo servant of he, the dark. He, he just, every time, every chance he could, he would jump up and then land on all fours. Yeah. Just at any, any point he could. Yeah. And so that was like kind of fun. And he was also, oh, he's like starts though, when, he, when they first show him, he's like smoking a space hookah and he's got a surfboard behind him and he... He's like, just in like a four by four room on a metal bench yeah, with like, like straight out of Six Flags, <laughs> with just like surfing stuff taped up around the room and a surfboard behind him, and I guess it's supposed to allude to the fact that he's a surfer but also a stoner. It's like it's truly bizarre, and the dialogue's written by somebody. I said it to me, it was like a Chinese exchange student who was coming here to write his first screenplay, having ne- never met a black person or any like any kind of anything and just didn't know what people said or did and so it was his like best approximation it's like all of the worst tropes again boiled down to their like most base elements but you don't wind up with something greater than the parts you get something even less see see this is the way i i I saw it because they had this they had that like almost uh college comedy movie where like they had the stoner and then they had the real young kind of dumb girl that everyone like made fun of and they had the chick with the big old boobers who they were so was trying to prove herself and the leader and yada 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 it was like this guy went to a drive-in movie that had two screens right but never turned on his radio so like he doesn't know how to write these things and he just smashed together like these two different genres and yeah. tried to make it work and the plot which we didn't even describe is basically they're a salvage crew it's basically the movie Ghost Ship, but with vampires, or Alien, but yeah. Ghost Ship, and so their ship is called Mother. They dock it with this ship that shows up in the Carpathian system. The ship is called Demeter. If you've ever read Brand Stoker's Dracula, it's just like tons of a bunch of, of the characters are named after the characters from Dracula, which is like kind of cool. Like I did like in. It, I wanted to like it, but it was barely even entertaining. And uh, so they get on the ship, and they're they're like, okay, we're going to salvage this huge ship, and then things go awry. And when Dracula shows up, like... Which isn't until, like, so long into the movie, and almost out of nowhere, you don't see it coming, because Coolio... So they find this room 
full of the worst coffins, fake coffins I've ever which seen. It, they still never truly explain why there's just a room full of coffins. I mean, I know well, they did. They said that they got they were offered by a, the Transylvanian planet to take these coffins. Right, but like, and I understand that like in Dracula lore, he needs soil from his 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 home. Mm-hmm. to be able to survive because he needs to sleep in it, whatever. And all the things are full of, co- of sand. All the coffins are full of sand. And so they go in there, and Coolio is cracking them open looking for drugs because <laughs> why not? Well, they've outlawed religion and coffins in the future, and so not, nobody's ever seen a coffin or, or, the, or like a cross before. <laughs> it's very strange. Keep going. So... <laughs> He somehow cuts himself on a blunt crowbar and bleeds into one of the things, gets left there, and then gets turned into a vampire, and then he ends up back there later after attacking his crewmates after being a vampire, and he's just doing this weird baby talk dance jumpy thing, and then, Dracula and then all of a sudden shows Dracula shows up, and we have an African-American man calling a white man master. And he's on all fours. Yeah, and it was funny because to me that was like the least offensive part of the it's movie not really because just offensive is just like what? I... Yeah, it was it was not a good film. It's like a one star movie if it's that. I would give it one star out of ten. But I would still watch it again. Yeah, not alone. Yeah, there'd have to be other people. Hey? Yeah. But the the thing that made it, I think, slightly endearing was that all of the CG effects for the spaceships and stuff looked like they were from, like, a PS2-era game and were, like... PS1. No, no, they were PS2. They no. Were, uh, yeah, you're right. They were, like, P- they were like on that, like, edge. They were, like, an early PS2 game that was still, like, they had designed it for PS1. They were rough, but, like, I, that stuff is almost retro now, so it's kind of like, okay. And then... There were elements of it that felt like FMV sequences from a game, and then they just instead of having the gameplay like that you would have played, they just the had whole a movie felt like movie. Sewer Shark. Yeah, yeah, it was like that kind of thing, and uh, it wasn't as bad as Sewer Shark though. Sewer Shark is like having spent hours and hours as a kid playing. My brother brought over his Sega CD one weekend when he babysat me. And he basically just, like, smoked weed and, and drank cough syrup. And then I just, like, played Sewer Shark for three days straight. And it was so frustrating. What was, what was the one with with the guys breaking in? You had to set the traps. Oh, Night... Something. Night Trap. Night Trap, yeah. 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 Yeah, so it was on par with, like, if they had made a movie out of that technology. And then Casper Van Dien looked amazing. Like, he looked like he was just coming off the set of Starship Troopers. Guys, listen. If you want... If you want a FMV game for modern era video games, all you have to do is get us enough listeners so we can start a Patreon, and we will produce one, and I bet you we can get every one of those actors for pretty fucking cheap. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, but at the end of the day, that was what we chose to watch because we're fucked up, (laughs) and at least the last thing we watched, which was uh, Lumberto Bava's Demons, had some redeeming qualities, although that was like pretty trash film. That's like a two yeah. and a half star film. <laughs> but this was like a one out of ten. Uh, the difference was one had more of a storyline. Yeah. But barely. And and it had much better like splatter effects and stuff. Well, yeah. yeah. And also a sweet soundtrack by Claudio Simonetti. So. Yeah. Claudio. But yeah, so that's what we watched. Um, 
I don't know that it was worth it to stay up this late uh, and then have a movie to review. I disagree. I think it was I. It was worth it. So one thing to note: we have no control over this. You will hear the sounds of the terrifying refrigerator in Ben's kitchen at some point, which sounds like a droid being killed by Jawas, <laughs> and you will hear the sound of the air conditioner. Which sounds like Dracula from the year 3000 breathing down your neck. Yeah, so get used to it. We can't control it. I Hopefully it won't be too intrusive. Uh, before before we move on to the actual episode, I do want to mention uh, the last like three minutes of the film, uh, which is the only people left out alive are uh, the uh, bodacious boobied robot lady. and, oh, and Spoilers. And, well... I just said I'm going to mention the end of the film. The last two minutes of the film. Sure. They realize that the ship is going to explode. and there's it's nothing, going into the sun. Yeah, and there's nothing they can do about it. Mind you, it doesn't actually go into the sun. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it gets close enough to blow up, which is actually how it would work, so good on them. They both realize they're going to die, and she goes... Well, I'm a pleasure droid, and he's and Debo's like I've never had enough credits to do one of those. He says Bingo in the front row throws her over his shoulder and then goes to sodomize a white woman. And it then it is powerfully offensive. <laughs> <laughs> and then it pulls out to the ship, and the ship explodes. Wait, wait, wait! No, it's better than that because they do that. Then it cuts. So we mentioned we failed to mention Udo Kier is only in the movie. He's not Dracula, which would have been the right role for him. But instead, he does these video logs straight out of like System Shock. I'm pretty two. sure he just set up a like thing in a his webcam. garage. Yes, it was and web- filmed it and never showed up. To he set. was on the toilet. No, well, because they said in the credits, which are the greatest opening credits screen you'll ever see. You need to watch it for that because <laughs> it is free on Hulu. Um, but. Yeah, so he's doing these video logs about when he was, like, his crew was on the de- uh, delimiter, Demeter, Demeter. Yeah, there and, um, and then he says, like, I realize now, like, I have to destroy the ship or something like that. Then it just rapidly cuts to the ship outside, and then it blows up, and then it just Mid- hard stops. Hard yeah. stop, roll credits. Yeah, it is, it is wild. Um, so definitely... Definitely a terrible, terrible film, but we had a lot of fun yeah. watching it. I have to I, say, like, even just, it was one of those where it it just had a lot of right elements, and I think being like two thousand four rather than two thousand fourteen, when all these movies were way too self aware, uh, it made it a lot better because like it was the kind of thing that if Mystery Science Theater three thousand was still around, like they would have torn this movie apart. It, it was like that kind of a movie. Yeah, it was was an experience it's free on hulu go watch it yeah so yeah so bearded dick's musical fun time we're here with uh year 2013 i have to say 2012 was a ton of fun for me because of the way we're set up tonight i'm not going to be able to play clips from these songs for ben and i here but i will be putting in clips uh somewhere that makes sense for you guys to hear a little bit of each record so just know that we won't be reacting in real time to the clips of the songs, but Ben knows a lot more of these records, I think, anyways, yeah. than uh, some of the old ones. And maybe we're going to play a couple clips off my phone. We'll kind of see how it goes. So just notice that change. So I'm going to start off first with Aosoth, their fourth album, four, colon, arrow and heart. 
released on Agonia Records from Poland. Which is one of my favorite album covers of all time. Yeah, so the, the art, I can't think of the guy's name, but it's this angel with like a skeleton with rings, like bat wings behind her, holding this arrow that's piercing her heart, and it's all in like blues and grays. The Gatefold album like shows the whole thing, and it's an incredible painting. It's super spooky and like he's he's such a classic skeleton though like he seems like he would be kind of fun but the angels like done in that sort of pseudo renaissance like old-fashioned religious iconography way and the lyrics are all in braille so they are unknown to me but it a lot of people think that their third album was their highlight i think that the third album is in some ways a better album it's really an interesting and weird one and it was kind of where Aosoth went from being the sort of lesser brother band to Antaeus to like saying we're here we're like legit we've got our own thing going and then this album took it to the next level I spoke about uh, Paracletus in our first episode doing this which was from 2010 and this album definitely feels like it was influenced by Paracletus and all of the later era Death Spell Omega stuff where the songs are much more long and winding and they're able to get through lots of different parts with not very much repetition but still creating a cohesive song. So having been listening to that kind of progressive black metal for many years at this point, especially with a lot of like focus on dissonant riffing and weird jazzy drum interludes and stuff like that, it didn't feel complex or like complicated compared to how some of those albums felt back then. And even that was mostly more in like the 2005 to 2010 era. So I was immediately taken aback when I heard this. The opening song is fucking phenomenal. And the whole thing is just like solid gold. I, I listened to it more than uh, three, which is why I put it on the list. And I really liked their most recent album, Five but I still like this better than that. So again, that's why it's on here. I saw them play at Maryland Death Fest in 2013. I was two months sober and they played Saturday and Antaeus played Sunday. And Saturday, I wound up in like a, a, a sort of circle of guys. So they were in the outside tent. I think all the bands played outside that year. And I was like surrounded by these Mexican metalheads who all had super long straight black hair and we just headbanged for the entirety of their set nonstop. And I was like holding onto one dude's shoulder and another guy was holding onto mine so we could like keep our balance while we just continued to swing our heads for like an hour straight. And MKM who does the vocals and uh, writes the lyrics and helps write some of the music was just like in great form. He's constantly like, uh, I forget what the name of it, but when you like, do the cross over your face and shoulders and stuff. It, there's a certain name for that. It's the sign of the cross, isn't it? Yeah, but it's it's not like genuflect, but it's something like that. And he would do all these like things, and he'd just do his like long vocals, and it just was, it was like everything I could have ever wanted. And it was, it, they basically switched off the scene between songs from three and this album. It was amazing, uh, and. I brought this album home from Death Fest and listened to the shit out of it while I was studying for the bar. And it's just like a monster of a black metal album. He's come out after the fact and pissed and moaned about how like he wasn't satisfied with this, that, and the other. Uh, I don't know what there is to bitch about. I think it's perfect. And the 
one of the big highlights of it is that there are two sort of ambient songs that are uh it's like a broken language and a broken language again that they go right before the last really long song and both of them are all uh focused around samples from the devils with oliver reed and vanessa redgrave i believe is the woman yeah and so we wound up watching that movie as a result of me listening to this album over and over and being like i have to see this movie and if you haven't seen The Devils, you should listen to this album, then watch The Devils, and it's then incredible. listen to this album. You will want to grow a mustache oh so God. bad, and then you'll, you'll try to grow a mustache with your friend, and your friend will pussy out halfway through. Yeah. Oliver Reed's mustache is top three mustaches of all time, maybe the best mustache, but it's mostly because it's on Oliver Reed, who just fucks through the whole movie. He fucks everything. He's a fuck machine. Fuck priest. Dude, he's a fuck priest if ever there was. It takes place during the plague and like the city-states. It's based on actual events. Yeah, and the Inquisition and all this shit that was happening in France. It's Ludon. It's it's wild. It's so good. It's that guy, that director. He's done other good movies, but this movie is like the ultimate of like Rococo art as as but in the film and like it's just it's the, his directing style and his artistic like vision vibes so well with the insanity of the times to provide you with this like barely overdone version of the insanity that it was and this album is like the perfect counterpiece to that so I think that's like the best compliment I can give it and those two interludes without the context of the movie are really powerful and then with the context of the movie are that much better and part of one of them has the sound of Jesus having the nails driven through him and it's just like it's (laughs) it like just pricks the hair up on your spine every time and if you're not already jerking off to nun porn after watching the devils you will yeah so so that's that's Aesoth Arrow and Heart. It's that's I I I don't listen to it as much now, but you remember when when that was happening? That was when I made my current vest, which mm-hmm. is the whole main back patch is uh, this huge Anteus patch, and like all I listened to was Aesoth and Anteus, yep. <laughs> and that was not a lot of fun to be around because unless you wanted to listen to like nonstop grinding black metal, then you were gonna have a bad time. I was fine. Yeah. So the second one is a totally different uh, piece, and I partially put it in here because this group otherwise wouldn't make it to the list, but it was also one of those types of comeback albums where you're just like, wow, they, they have it maybe even better than they ever did, and I'm blown away. So Boards of Canada put out Tomorrow's Harvest right around when I got sober. I think the actual album dropped like a month or two after I got sober in the lead single came out like maybe the same week and uh it's compared to their uh album that came before it campfire head phase which is very much this sort of hippie dreamscape pastel like really leaning into the kind of hippie weed smoker vibe compared to the um very creepy post-apocalypse vibe and john carpenter synth inspired stuff on tomorrow's harvest like it was it was a really interesting turn that i did not expect from them is this the album you gave me yeah 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 like you know this one Mm -hmm. this one is so good there's it's like all boards of canada where 
they're so effective at creating full albums like they can have 15 songs and it doesn't feel long it doesn't ever feel disjointed you don't ever hear a song and think this is bad this shouldn't be on here every song works uh the one i like the most is called jack Way's pass pass oh, what is it like uh causeway jock, jock causeway or something like that They do like these moments in their songs where they just, they turn sublime. It's so if you don't know Boards of Canada, they're like one of the quintessential IDM, like the whole idea of lo-fi hip hop beats to study yeah. to is as a result of what they did in the mid nineties. And they had a run from like 1995 to 2003 when Gio Gotti came out, I think maybe that was 2002. That was almost unparalleled in that community. And they kept a consistent through line through their music, but like clearly evolved and got better. And much, much later, it came out that they were brothers and they had this uh, incredible, like very secret history, no social media, all this other stuff. They did like a bunch of really wild promo things where they, they put like geographical coordinates on walls and like um, skyscrapers in Tokyo for a while that people could like decipher to figure out like go on websites and then find like clips from the album before it was released and all this other like crazy press hijinks. But all of that would be bullshit if they didn't have an amazing album yeah. to back it up. And this one is just a straight killer. And in preparation for this episode, I listened to it again the other day and it's a straight killer. Like it's music has the right to children is a masterpiece. There's no doubt, but I definitely reach for this one more, partially because their earlier albums are tied to a time in my life that I care not to think about because it's mostly like gut-wrenching drug addiction and the <laughs> destruction of many relationships. And then like occasionally smoking a joint with my friends in the woods and listening to Poets of Canada being like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> so, you know, having this album to sort of latch onto in early sobriety definitely was um, a cool thing. And, and to mention, so I got sober April 1st, well... March 29th of 2009 or 2013 and then I 
ate mushrooms two days later, so I had to change my sobriety date table <laughs> first. But you will hear, I'm going to talk a lot about for this year, these albums as they relate, as they relate to either my right before I got sober or that first, you know, less than year of sobriety. So yeah, thanks just, for texting me on my anniversary, by the way. Oh yeah, I missed that. <laughs> Congratulations yeah. to Ben for seven years. I'm going to go crush up a bunch of pills and snort them now. Oh my God, boo-hoo. So, um, okay, the next one. So I think that covers, do you have anything to say about boards? I know that you're into I just love that album. Um, there's been a lot of times, It's it's been a backing track for me for a lot of car games I've played. Okay. Um, and just like, it's it's a album I've put on while falling asleep a lot too. Okay. Um, just because it has that, that ambiance to it. And yeah. it's, it's just a very good album. So, yeah, I guess the thing that I was starting to say that I sort of dipped out on, if you don't know boards, then this is what hopefully will get you into it. What they do that is unique is that while they were part of like the electronic scene of the 90s, their music always sounded older and dusty and like it was recorded to tape and the tapes were backwards and they were also sent through a time warp. And they do that with all these synths that sound like they're coming out of like 70s scores or even 60s scores and like educational music and other things. And they use a lot of like small vocal samples, not to evoke like robotic humanity but to evoke real humanity and on their most ephemeral and effervescent songs they start slow they quickly build up with like these synths and repetitions that like start to flow like the tide coming in and they hit these points of like wild emotionality that's just it's like the score, like when really good scores work in movies, they do it to like bring out a specific emotion in the watcher. Right. And this does that without having the movie more effective than any score to a movie does it. And normally it's some kind of bliss or sometimes uh, like a true melancholy, but they do this so effectively without being like a post-rock crescendo where it takes seven minutes to get there, 30 seconds to be there, and then another 10 minutes to trail off. Like, this is not Godspeed You Black Emperor, although they have their commonalities, but it is, like, powerfully emotionally resonant music, and if you ever were a child and then grew up, you will resonate with Boards of Canada because they capture that experience on like so many different scales and so effectively that like basically if you don't have a heart maybe you won't dig this but otherwise like are you fucking kidding me yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a very cold weather album for me though yeah like as soon as fall hits i start to listen to this way more yeah this is this is definitely a little bit this is way more fall than most of their albums which are like spring and summer but it still doesn't lack for that and yeah I hope that if you've never checked out Boards of Canada and you're coming from a darker place of musical choices, this is a great one to start with. And if you know Boards of Canada, then I'm just reiterating, I'm, I hope what you love about them. And while you guys are all self-quarantining, you can listen to all these albums. That's true. That's a really good point. And because I'm going to be on vacation for the next week, I'm going to probably have this episode uploaded within 24 hours. Yeah. So The next one is Dead in the Dirt, The Blind Hole. <laughs> on Southern Lord 
and I think they were from Georgia. They're very much like the left-leaning, uh, vegan, animal rights, uh, left political views type band. I saw them open for Sun, I think the last time I saw Sun on tour. And Sun was always good about bringing bands on their label with them and also having them be very different than Sun a lot of the times, which is good for contrast. So their set was like 18 minutes long and then Sun played for two and a half hours or whatever it was because that's what Sun does. Yep. And this band has a 7-inch, a CDR, and this album. I bought the 7-inch and CDR when I saw them live. I bought the album when it came out. And it's one of my favorite soundtracks to work out to because it's super fast, so it's really good for uh, cardio, but it's also so vicious and like like wildly aggressively angry <laughs> that it is very good for lifting. And Kurt Ballou from... Converge fame has a very specific production style, which is like uh, Intomb's first album and third album mixed with explosive grindcore. So if you like the way that Jane Doe sounds and if you like the way that Intomb sounds, then you'll probably like his production. It can sometimes make bands all sound the same that are coming from God City, but he does it. He turns up that brutal heaviness that's like brick walled in a, the best way possible, sort of the chainsaw guitar sound, uh, while still maintaining a lot of clarity and, and this sort of like weird technicality of this band. And they don't fall into like the nails style, like bro, grindcore, power violence, whatever shit. Like they feel way more like a crusty grindcore, way more close to actual power violence. But they're fucking relentless. The album starts off with just this like squealing feedback that I'm gonna play real quick. so like they no noise gates so you get tons of feedback it's it's three dudes dual vocal assault and oh my god it's just it's it's grindcore that's very much engineered for all the things i like and their like extreme negativity is just oh it's so good but it along with the two discordant saxes albums and the or i should say the last two and Prowler in the Yard by Pig Destroyer. This is these are like easily my most listened to grindcore. Not necessarily my favorite, although Discord Texas is. But this this album I just listened to it over and over. It's like twenty two minutes, twenty some songs. Every one of them is memorable. They do their own thing. Dual vocals always get me. Yeah, I'm I'm a yeah. sucker for dual vocals. I can't. Yeah. Especially in anything that's fucking heavy. Yeah. Just like or just, super fast. Just like two totally different screams. Just two dudes just fucking yelling yeah. at each other. So I work really hard with my 
therapist to not break stuff and um, express my anger in a way that negatively affects the people around me. But when I listen to this album, I want to smash people's faces in with heavy pieces of metal, mm-hmm. like, immediately. <laughs> so uh, I try to keep it in check. But it's just, it's one of those that I know that Southern Lord kind of has, like, some people have negative feelings because it's a relatively big indie metal label, and they release tons of stuff that to me is just, like, not that interesting, and it's too slick, it's too this, it's too that, but this band crushes it, and because their discography is literally three things, the the CDR is really tough to get, or the CD, I guess, EP, but the 7-inch and the album are super easy to get. They're both, like, phenomenal. You can listen to their whole discography in, like, half of a workout and feel engaged the whole time. I just... They do... And the other thing that's so good about the album is as it goes along, they, like, they let their songs open up and get longer and do a lot of, like, interesting stuff with that and get some sludgy bits in. And the last thing I'll say is there's a song called Cop and... Uh, there's a song called, what is it? Yeah, No Chain. So the song Cop ends with this uh, spoken word. I forget who it's by. I might have looked it up before. But the guy ends the spoken word with like, I was a dog on a sharp, short chain, and now there's no chain. And then No Chain starts. This is to inform you that I didn't die young. Age swept past me, but I caught up. Spring has begun here, and each day brings new birds up from Mexico. Yesterday, I got a call from the outside world, but I said no and thunder. I was a dog on a short, short chain, and now there's no chain. and the fucking back and forth like call like chorus part is just like no Jay and then it's just like he's the guy says that a couple times and it's just like no fucking Jay and then there's this breakdown and you're just like if that doesn't get you hyped to do some bad shit like I don't even know you know what I mean like (laughs) my brain it just like everything goes black and all I feel is like massive testosterone and like explosive anger and uh Oh boy, it, it's um, 
really a doozy. And <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if it came up before I got sober or not, but I, I will tell you and Ben will testify, my first like six months sober, all I listened to was Power Violence, Grindcore, and Speedcore, which yeah. is like the hardest and fastest hardcore techno. <laughs> I remember when you were listening to this album continuously. <laughs> And you would just say, don't fucking change! Just all the time. Yeah, I sure did. And uh, <laughs> it was like really, like that was just how it worked for me. Like I smoked a lot of cigarettes and I drank a lot of coffee and I listened to a lot of really fast, angry music. Iron Lung was like, Iron Lung saved my life. I wrote them a fan letter and was like, I got, I stayed sober. Because I saw them my last night drinking. I was at the show and then I had all their albums, like all this stuff. Uh, white glove test had just come out and I brought that with me so I'll save that for that so that's dead in the dirt that's it's a monster go pick it up you're needed if you're not into that the next one is a weirdo one I don't know when this came up in my life it's just been like a an album that I still am trying to get into and but I think it's definitely like worked into the larger zeitgeist in a cool way and uh has become like a real gem in my collection that I actually don't even own, but Dirty Beaches, Drifters slash Love is the Devil, which is this, I think it's all on one CD, maybe it's a double LP, it's relatively short, I think maybe it's two CDs, I'm not sure, I don't own it, but Alex Jang, or was it Jai, I apologize, he's like Taiwanese and a bunch of other stuff, he's this avant saxophonist who uh, is currently like super involved with all the music in the Twin Peaks new series that came yeah. out a couple years ago and been doing all these other very interesting like artsy film score stuff. He made a movie about himself and that's supposed to be like surprisingly good for an ego project. And he's in like a lot of other cool p- projects. Um, one of them's called Trouble, which is, I think it's like, it's him and one of the dudes from John Carpenter's band and like somebody else and they do this like weird avant jazz like smoky noir music and all this shit and this album is basically the band Suicide uh, updated for modern like Brooklyn hipsters but way cooler than that and I really wish that I had still been using and could have taken DXM to it because it's very much of that like fucked up like wandering like trying to look for like meaning in your wandering but knowing that it's like totally meaningless bullshit and i'm just like hopped out on a bunch of drugs but i'm also not even wandering because i'm totally laying in my bed thinking i'm on a it's beach so weird that 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 lynch used that for something <laughs> yeah yeah right it's so it's just there's this one song on it called casino lisboa that like he does this like yelping distant vocals that sound like they're coming out of Uh, like a CB radio type microphone. Thank you. 
guy's like this skinny Asian dude with this shitty mustache who smokes a ton of cigarettes and like wears like a hay hat and it, he just like looks very cool and you're like this is a dude who plays weird saxophone and smokes cigarettes and then like he does that and he like moves all over the place and the songs are all like you know wandering on Danube River or whatever which like I forget where that is it's like somewhere in the Middle East or something like it's all it feels like it's all over the world because it is he's like a world traveling sax man and it's kind of like Tom Waits if he was Asian and cooler and like way more Lynch and way less Jim Jaramouche. Yeah. And you can definitely crawl, call like hipster cred type of album, but as somebody who came into it like way after the fact, like I can't even claim that. I just, we were listening to this relatively recently, weren't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's weird because it's one of those where my fiancé uh, really likes parts of it and can get into it and then at the other time it can be like really inaccessible and she can still get into it and there's not a lot of albums in my collection like that so it's definitely one that like I said I, I come to appreciate it's just the production on it is very thin it sounds like it's all recorded on a tape recorded to a tape and recorded like out of that tape player onto a microphone into another tape so you definitely get a vibe of like distance and decay from just the way that it sounds. But once you get past sort of the thinness and sometimes like high treble in it, it's really rewarding. Uh, it's just not what you expect. So it definitely sounds like a late 70s, 80s kind of like feeling, feeling the ropes of what experimental music has to offer. But instead it's just done with like a guy now. Yeah, unfortunately so. we still haven't watched The Return. No, we've been putting it off since it came out, and I've heard that it is a life-changing event series, but it's also, we've been trying to trek our way through for the however many time of the second season, and then watch the movie, and then watch it. You're off for a week, I'm off for like a month, so yeah. we should just finish it so we could finally do our Twin Peaks episode. I know, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's that. Uh, the next one is an EP. I typically don't put EPs on this list, but it was sort of between this and the album that came out the same year by the same artist. But I like this EP a little bit more. It's more focused. So DJ Rashad Roland. For those who don't know, Hyperdub, or more importantly, DJ Rashad, he was one of the progenitors of Footwork, which is like a... Well, he didn't... Footwork is the dance style to the type of music he was doing, which is called like juke or a bunch of other stuff and can be referred to as footwork. I don't know what the current name is for it. I am I really struggle to keep up to date on these more rhythm and bass oriented music genres that have like exploded in the post hyperdub world. So I'm not that cool and I don't like a lot of this stuff because I just don't. But. He's out of Chicago. He has a whole crew called Tech Life. And 
he got big with the European guys, specifically Code Nine, who runs Hyperdub. And if you if you can get big with the Europeans, then like your sound will explode so much more. And so much of what the Europeans are doing, which has always been the case with electronic music, is basically finding what these guys are doing in the in Detroit and Chicago, being like, oh, this is sick, and then like doing it over in the Europe without like the context of all the like social issues and like like cultural shit that's going on with it. Not in a way that they're consciously ignoring it, but just like some white dude from Bristol can't necessarily identify yeah. with like <laughs> using footwork as a way to like lessen the hypothetical gang violence and deaths in Chicago. But all that aside, um, DJ Rashad overdosed right before and died right before his album Double Cup came out later that year. And it's sad because he was like sort of one of the heads and kind of like visionary pushing force of all this stuff that was exploding and Double Cup is a great album I'm sure he was like a cool dude but apparently allegedly nobody was aware of like how bad his drug problems were but like I mean the album's called Rolling and it's all about like taking drugs so I mean and Double Cup is Double Cup. Like I don't like I don't really know. Like he was like died of being on like Xanax and Molly and heroin and Coke and like a bunch of other shit like all at the same time. I'm, like I feel like you can't just like do all those in the bathroom, you know what I mean? Like so um He's been in the bathroom a really long time. Yeah, so the the Maybe he's got allergies, I keep hearing sniffles come out of there. The thing that I really, really like about the C P is that it has very much the energy of like old school jungle music so like especially moving shadow era like pre like 95 style jungle music refuge crew that kind of stuff or refuge crew or whatever the fuck it is and uh i fuck with that but i also like that's another thing where like that's just like super expensive stuff to get into now because it became a huge collector scene but i have some knowledge of jungle music from when i was a kid and was lucky enough to score some like proper jungle hardcore rave breakbeat mix CDs and this album very much has that energy with like the cut up vocals the chipmunk the fast beats so I'm going to play a little bit of the title song so you can hear that
one thing's like rolling, the other one's like got the mollies. <laughs> it's just like I don't think they're being coy, but it's it's the kind of music that is so the beats are really fast and you're supposed to like the footwork thing is like to move your feet fast enough to move it with the, like all the little drums and stuff. And it's tough because in this cell phone, laptop, whatever world it is not music that sounds like anything if you're listening to it without a subwoofer, like an actual subwoofer, because what you do not hear at all playing it from my cell phone is like the, like yeah. the kind of stuff that will break subs if they're not good enough. And, you know, again, that attention to like interesting, crispy, like post IDM meets UK bass meets like what they're doing in Chicago shit is just like very cool. And it's like this ultra fast sampling uh, I don't have a ton to say about it because I'm not really qualified to like dive into it more than that. But it's a killer EP. It commands a much higher price than most of the stuff that was coming out around that time that's Juke. And I think as far as what I've heard, I mean, DJ Rashad did a lot of stuff before he moved to Hyperdub on his own label and other labels from the area. But I think it's like kind of the perfect summation of his style. And it's... It's got like a lot of like cool emotionality and isn't just party stuff, but there's also some like really good tracks on Double Cup. There's you know and there's DJ Manny and a lot of the other guys have done a lot of great stuff since. But uh, if you can get a copy, when like Hyperdub represses or records occasionally. Right now I think it's selling for way too much money. It's like fifty sixty bucks. But if you can get a copy when they repress it, I definitely recommend. If you're into jungle, if you're into drum bass, if you're into this kind of thing, you've already probably got it. But yeah, so DJ Rashad. Okay, so the next one is Function Incubation on Ostkutan, which is Function is one of the guys from Sandwell District. This is the one of the albums that came out in the post dissolution of Sandwell District in 2011, I think it was. So I think before this. Uh, Silent Servants album came out which I like but I wasn't it didn't blow my mind like it did for other people this album a lot of people thought wasn't that interesting and I thought like are you fucking kidding me this is the greatest <laughs> techno thing since Sandwell District and otherwise like it pretty much stands alone and basically if you like function style which is to have clean but very warm techno that has like a nice bit of like bleepy throwback to old school like lfo bleep style mid 80s and late 80s techno from warp then you will totally like this he's not afraid to get a little bit ambient with it which i mean a lot of techno artists do on their albums but take it to like a pretty place he kind of reminds me of carl craig at times in a weird and like the way that carl craig does his remixes and Basically, I got this album and I listened to the shit out of it. And I don't listen to it as much anymore just because, you know, so much more stuff to listen to these days. But it's it's one of those where it's super like there's not there's not a single bad track on it. And it's super easy to listen to from beginning to finish. It has that great thing where I think there's voice print. There's two different versions of that. And there's, I think, two different versions of a different song. And like there, it's the classic like using motifs to sort of bring it all back together kind of thing. He more recently did an album on Tresor that's like four discs, like four CDs, I think it is, and then like eight pieces of vinyl or some like insane amount of music that I'm interested, but also like that seems like too much, <laughs> you know. 
I'm a little, I'm a little taken aback. But Incubation is just like a fucking perfect, like just, it's just a perfect techno album. I, I cannot understand anybody's complaint. And the thing that I really like about it is that it very much is like a Space Odyssey 2001 type of techno without being, but not like straight corny like that either. It's not Jeff Mills, but it, it has a lot of that aesthetic, a lot of that like willingness to have color and be a little psychedelic but still very much be played at clubs. And Andrew and I saw him play it elsewhere a couple of years ago and all was brutal because there was like a technical problem and he didn't start till it's like four in the morning. Yikes. I mean to drive home from Brooklyn that night. So we were there from like four until seven or eight. And then I was like, we have to go home. Like I can't keep dancing <laughs> and still drive back. And, uh, it was good. Like, I was a little disappointed because uh, he did a lot of, I guess, a lot of stuff in, like, Ableton where these songs were recreated, but they were, like, I'm so used to hearing them a specific way on the album that it was, like, almost kind of, like, jarring a little bit to hear them in a, like, module, like a changed club version. I mean, even though they're club tracks, but it was, I don't know. It was, it was cool, but it was a little disappointing because yeah. I saw, I had seen Shifted, like, a month before that, and when Shifted played... It was like listening to, I, I think I talked about this on the podcast back then. It was like having sand be like turned into like granular sounds and then pushed out of a massive club system that was just like thumping my brain into <laughs> this like, like analog but digital submission. And it was very much, that was like, that was some next level shit. The function was good. There was no question. It was a really good DJ set, but... But like shifted was just kind of set the bar like pretty fucking high, so. But that was also just a long night because we were there from like twelve o'clock at night until eight o'clock in the morning, and we don't do drugs, so it's just like I can only drink so many Red Bulls before my feet are <laughs> saying, "Please." My lower back is starting to hurt. Yeah, so I, I I'm gonna play a little bit of uh, the opening track, Voice Print, and uh, and then move on.
I don't know how anybody couldn't get down with the, the twinkling Blade Runner vibes of yeah. that kind of a thing. It's very cyberpunky. Yeah, and it's it's like cyberpunk, but in like the main corporate facility almost, like mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. not on like the smoky gross streets. And there's this last song on the album. It's called Psychic Warfare. That's also like, he he just the thing that Function does. All the Samuel guys have like a specific tool that they know how to use best. So like Regis, Regis creates a very small groove and then just works it for a long time. And now he does a lot more of this broken beat thing. But back in the day, it was like these squelching acid. Just like just it's. Like, if somebody made you bite the corner of a table and then repeatedly smash your head for five minutes, but in the best possible techno way, uh, that doesn't sound pleasant, but... But the corner of the table is actually a titty. Yeah, and Silent Servant just makes it sound super brittle and does this whole, like, post-punk 80s thing and whatever. But Function... Function just, like, pulls it all apart like we're in space and just lets, like, the elements echo. And his probably greatest song ever is called burn if memory serves me and it's it's like this like kind of synth thing going but then but then the kick comes in and it is both like cavernous and thunderous and it's just like boo 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 and then there's like three other elements like click clacky hats and whatever and the way that he just brings those elements in and out like there's there's the part where it's just like like and then the kick comes and even though it's a 10 minute song and you've been listening to this like you just come in your pants like you just straight up i heard that before i got sober and <laughs> i'm gonna tell you partner like woof my my favorite thing about these episodes is you uh trying to recreate uh electronic music with your mouth <laughs> I do what and I do. Like, you're like, it's all like, boop, 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 and then, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Okay. That's I know, I'm sad, I love it. It makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it cracks me up because I'm always like, last thing I'll say, and then four things later. But, so, Function, Incubation, totally awesome. It was his first album after being an artist for like 20 plus years. So, the next one, Ice Age, You're Nothing. I struggled if I should put this on the list. It was hugely helpful in getting me through early sobriety because I had, I had picked it up like that week or something like that. It was sort of the reprieve from the blinding grindcore and power violence, even though it's like a sort of punk album. But for those who know Ice Age, they know that they're like a sloppy Danish punk band that has so much other weird stuff going on that they're barely anything. We're not talking about the movie with Ray Romano in it? No. Mm-hmm. And they, I saw them live once. It was really disappointing. A lot of people other th- apparently thought on that particular tour, their Philadelphia date was just like a mess. It sounded like shit. And I'm not a big fan of the direction they've taken since, but I do like that they've gone off and done a bunch of wild stuff. They're connected to the posh isolation, Danish power electronics, and all that other stuff, Nexus. And they all have their fingers and all sorts of great stuff. The album VAR uh, that came out, I think, simultaneous with that, or I forget when it was, that, but the sole like, VAR album is, I think, a much, it's a much less important album, but also the one I listen to a lot more. Your Nothing is just really, like, the lyrics are awesome. The sort of crazy rambliness of it all, like the rickety, like, it's sort of like a roller coaster slash boat, 
and then like wildly nihilistic, but only in this like young sort of way. And I don't know. It's it's a great album. It's really, really a great album, and probably super relevant kind of an album for the world we live in today. But it's also one that I struggle to connect with as much now because it was like I. I was sort of embracing the kind of positive nihilism in early sobriety that now, like, I don't even have time for that because I'm just, like, too old and too busy <laughs> and I got, like, my bones hurt and shit. <laughs> so tired. Yeah, like, I know that I'm nothing. Nihilistic. I can't, yeah, I can't, I can't even get, like, stoked about it. But I will say that in my two, first few years of sobriety, uh, when I was with a specific ex-girlfriend, like, we used to listen to this album a lot and fuck and, like, that was... It was pretty tight. Like it was a it was a good one for like some like sloppy, like God I hate myself and I have to get out of this relationship. But this is so good right now. For like these just you know twenty minutes, forty minutes, whatever it was. So it's a good one. Yikes. Yeah, Ice Age. <laughs> you're nothing. Check it out. Also, way better than their first album. I don't care what you say. You're an idiot if you think it's different. And way better than the movie Ice Age. Yes. Well, it does have Dennis Leary. This yeah. is better than that movie though. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, the next one I sort of already prefaced, Iron Lung, White Glove Test on Iron Lung Records. I saw Iron Lung the night that I decided to stop drinking. It was maybe six hours before that decision came to me. <laughs> and I spent the majority of their More like show... six hours before you s- fucking rolled into that decision head over heels. Yeah, basically, but... I spent the majority of their show getting hammered in the alleyway outside their show, which was silly because I could drink inside the venue and also because I missed a bunch of awesome bands. I did get to see Salvation and Dream Decay play, and I think it was Salvation's last ever show, and that was all rad. But Iron Lung got unplugged twice somehow during their set. I kept screaming for them to play the song Sweet Leaf by Black Sabbath because I was so (laughs) hammered. And it was awesome. It was so good. Yeah. (laughs) This, this, so Iron Lung are like one of those bands where I think in part, especially because in the second half of their career, they've really limited what they've put out. They've basically only put out solid gold material. Their, their earlier seven inches and splits and stuff are all like pretty like there's there's nothing bad like some of them just aren't amazing but they're sort of hyper focused 20 song albums that go by in 20 minutes are so good and uh this the, they do this album has like the only thing i would say that separates it from the other two is the production is somehow like a little bit softer it's i don't know more analog in the way they recorded it or i don't know what it is but the the drums seem to bash just a little bit softer, which is slightly disappointing. But it still has like all these incredible things, and then, so it's just guitar and drums and the and it's dual vocals, and like they have like this one song which is like separate the blood from plasma, and then just like and they they just make like the jauntiest tunes into like 30 seconds blazing parabolic things and then they'll always stuff the back end of the album with the most hateful shit you've ever heard and their imagery especially separates them from everyone else because it's like wild and bizarre they there's this project called feeding that's one of the dudes from 
uh, mutant video and then uh, geez I can't remember the John Cortland's uh, stuff and then they do a bunch of stuff together as Pig Heart Transplant which is a music project that also has a bunch of other people throughout the years and like Pig Heart Transplant so you know how much I love that shit yes. I remember when you bought a bunch of their shit yeah I have like all their 7 inches and their album on CD and on vinyl and like a different version of it and a bunch of and other and a bunch of their stuff framed yeah yeah I used to my whole apartment for when I lived alone because I could do this was their, their one seven inch was like I cut the whole seven inch sleeve apart which is this whole big ornate thing and made like a giant upside down cross of seven inch sleeve bits which draw these like mutated pigs being fed on and then like people with bags over their heads holding children and pigs and and all this shit yeah they're they're pretty dark so that stuff carries over into iron lung but then it's balanced out by uh drummer dudes whose name escapes me at the moment but his sort of more blunt directness but they use all this medical imagery i mean their name's iron lung and they've dialed down on all the samples, although this album was a big deal because, so they did a special version as a double CD or a double record, where one record, like one CD was the album, and then the other CD was this 20 minute matching industrial piece that's designed to be played simultaneously. And uh, if you bought the special edition LP, you got like an MP3 of them merged perfectly, and also could like spin the records either side together and have, you know, Eight different combinations or four different combinations whatever it is it's sick it's i like the industrial stuff separate from the power violence stuff personally but their uh last couple songs on it are insane and the the last two the first one is called nothing and when i was in those first couple of months over like i just had to embrace this sort of feeling of this song so i'm gonna play it in its entirety because it's just like a monster and this is how you feel when you're getting sober it's not all <laughs> fun times so
it. The lyrics are like, you will have nothing to show for your short time living but pain. Nothing, nothing, nothing but pain. And it's just like, okay, well, <laughs> yep. yeah, that seems about right. Uh, I'm not going to belabor the point. If it wasn't for Iron Lung in that show, I would probably be dead. And if I wasn't dead, I'd wish I was dead because I'd still be drinking. Uh, I sent them a fan letter saying as much, and they never responded happily. Huh. So, <laughs> and it's yeah, they're like a great band. They've they've done some more stuff, but this is the, the they haven't done a full album since then, and it's a good one. Okay, the next one is. So Samuel Carriage, who is this like quote techno, experimental techno, he's like an experimental electronic guy who's was on downwards, which is Regis's label, so he's grouped in with techno, but he never really made techno. So his first album is called A Fallen Empire, and basically it's kind of like Converter if Converter was way f- more focused on sounding and being cool. And being in with like the Berlin techno crowd of the 2010 pluses, rather than being part of like the goofy German and Canadian paranoid scene of right. the early 2000s, and so there's no playfulness or anything like that. It's these like swirling, murky death marches that basically consistently evoke the opening scenes of the original Terminator when they show the world after the machines have won and the fucking giant sweet sentinel robots crush like mountains of human skulls and please <laughs> shoot everywhere that's basically what you get uh it is really like grim ass music and it's not techno so it's one of those albums where like power electronics dudes should worship this shit but because it's on a techno label if they're not already down with techno they think it's lame and it's like you're an idiot the last song sounds like a fucking machine gun malfunctioning, just like repeatedly. It has very much in common with this genocide organ song from In Conflict. And it's it's not an album I listen to frequently now because it's just like too miserable in a lot of ways. Like it's fucking murky and it needs to be like dark and winter and just like I need to be more single and focused. <laughs> like again, it's one of those where it would have been a premier triple c album for sure like it's it's very much of that style and there are just a like there's not it's seven songs each one is grimmer than the last it starts really strong the 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 one is like um called uh fucking hold on there's a song called straight to hell (laughs) it's basically like these martial drums while there's this kind of like guitar slash synth sound that just like haunting and spooky sort of just kind of spiraling down it's at times reminds me of the best instrumental parts of Nine Inch Nails almost Uh without sounding as clean but it's just the whole album is like that where it's just these like murky crawls and shit
it. If you don't fuck with it, why wouldn't you fuck with why it? Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Stupid. I don't think I need to belabor the Come point on, on that people one. people stupid this episode. Yeah. I know. I think I'm in the mood. Plus, it's just <laughs> very late. Uh, moving right along. Portal, Vex Avoid, Profound Lore. Portal, huh? Didn't see that coming. Yeah, big shocker, right? This was... It, well... It wasn't really tough because this was the first Portal album I heard. This is when I first heard them. It had just come out. I was studying for the bar exam. I was playing Dark Souls for the first time. Portal rules. Portal rules. So I have this sweet Portal sweatshirt, Vexavoid sweatshirt that I still have that looks cool. And uh, yeah, Portal are the guys who are famous for like wearing clocks and like having tentacles on their fingers and not showing their faces. And, right of Cthulhu. Yeah, being all spooky and stuff when they play. And they play this murky, like, pseudo-death metal. I think anything you call it besides death metal is a bunch of pretentious bullshit. Like, it's death metal, they just play it in a way that's not your typically typically structured death metal, and its way bigger focus is dissonance and murk than riffing and sweet solos. And though I love riffs and solos, don't get it twisted. But they are they're informed by this sort of, like, chaotic jazzy dissonance of Desvel Omega ish type stuff, but they're way more murky than that. And Vex Avoid is when they hit peak murk, I would argue. There's some like techie, almost Meshuga style riffing bits in it, but it's largely this giant miasmic, like just fucking thing. I mean you've heard this album yeah. how many times? Uh, I want to see them live so bad. Oh, I know. They're, yeah, they're supposedly retired from playing live now. Yeah. And uh, they, the, the second half of the album, which is generally really short, I think it's like 27, maybe it's 37 minutes altogether, is most of the songs like fade out into these big drum tom hits and then just like... Swirling atmosphere, but for like minutes at a time. But they do such a good job at it that it's not just like constantly long, boring outros. It's the part that you look forward to as much as anything else.
I'll say is that I got into Portal when I was studying for the bar exam, but also playing Guild Wars 2. As a result of the amount of Guild Wars 2 and Portal I listened to, I don't... I think it contributed to me not passing the bar exam the first time. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was tough. I listened to them a lot in the summertime, and because I was so into what they were about, the cover of their album from before this called Swarth features this symbol that has 13 orbs on it, which also is a reference to Eog Sothoth, who is this creature from Lovecraft and he's tattooed on my back like my entirety of my back is do you mean to tell me that Portal has Lovecraft connections yeah well but the the thing was that yeah 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 so right so their, their whole thing is Lovecraft basically and then a bunch of other shit They're actually a surprisingly large amount of other shit but they you, you get the immediate Lovecraft connections but anyways we redesigned this symbol Andrew and I and then painted it on my bedroom wall yep. and my mom came home and was like what the fuck is this? And I was like, oh, it's cool. And then when I moved out, she was like, you need to paint over that because nobody wants to sleep in there now. I, I thought it was pretty fucking neat. I don't know. Yeah, I came up pretty decent for all things considered. Uh, I feel like I should spend a lot more time on Portal, but they're the perfect band for Dark Souls except for the fact that it's they're too loud and too scary so that you can't hear anything and then you're just like constantly ten times more Whoa. terrified what was the name of the album that came out after this uh Eon Is that Ion one? which one were we listening to right before we were listening to one of them right before Dark Souls 3 came out like a lot uh, it was probably this there's 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 my refrigerator guys. I don't know what do you when to Dark Souls three. It wasn't Eon because that hadn't come out yet. It was like five years between this and that. It's probably this. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Or the or the album before this because that's the one that's got the sway, which is the song where it's like. Yeah. And just like. I just remember late nights possibly terrifying my condo neighbors. Sure, sure. Just <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is like the album. It's basically for all the Bloodborne, Souls, whatever games except for Sekiro, this is the ultimate soundtrack because it's it sounds medieval at times, especially some of their older stuff, but it also sounds like has that sort of steampunk Victorian H.P. Lovecraft thing. And it just sounds like murky, chaotic, cataclysmic terror coming out of your speakers. And the way that this album is so, like, fucked up sounding, it, like, it's poorly mastered in an intentional way that it crackles and breaks, like, as if something was escaping from your, uh, you know. And for some people, they're not into this. It's way too atmospheric or, like, it's way, like, it's not. It's too abstract. I hear this. Well, we're on a roll of calling people stupid, so fuck those people. Yeah, they're fuck stupid. Them. Yeah, idiots. So, the next one is another one. Portal, but I do want to just say, Portal is a big deal. They are and remain a big deal. Like, that album was a, like, wasn't as helpful, like, in an emotional way to get through sobriety, but it was definitely, like, an early sober gym of, like, Save it for down. our eventual Portal episode. Sure, sure. I'm just making a bunch of promises this episode. Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> the next one uh, was another... You know, so I mentioned this relationship where I was doing a lot of banging to Ice Age. When I wasn't banging, we were fighting, and when we were fighting, I was like wanting to kill myself. And this album came out in the fall of that year, 
Tropic of Cancer, Restless Idols <laughs> on Blackest Ever Black. It's like the saddest, but also like I still want to go to the club music. <laughs> and uh, so Tropic of Cancer was originally Camilla Lobo and Juan Mendez, the dude from Silent Servant. And then they broke up. So I think like that project's done or at least and she also was a kid and whatever. I don't know. But this was the sort of culmination of a variety of VPs. The bummer was that having closely followed the project up until then, I had everything that they had put out. So I, and the album features like re-recorded versions of a bunch of songs. So only like four songs were new to me, which was disappointing. But they're re-recorded and remastered in a way to create a new cohesive whole. Some of them feel pretty different. And it's, for the most part, the vocals are unintelligible. They're just like these airy, sad, like languishing kind of female sounds. And then it's got this simple 80s drum kit stuff and then massive whooshy, not whooshy, more like languid, sort of like sad sense and sad guitar, really reverbed guitar stuff. like a semi-live like a live in studio version of it where she plays with the woman taylor birch from deva damas plays i think she plays this synth for her and the version's different than the album version but it gives you a really good idea of a more like a less abstract song from the album and kind of a good idea of what the album's like it's just like really like it just sounds like music for benzos you know like uh <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. She has this like goth, 
but so the album the album cover is this candelabra with a hand reaching for it on this kind of 70s style like seafoam green backdrop that should it's not even seafoam though it's like a, there's a little bit more taupe in there or something it's a that's not the word you're looking for yeah I don't know taupe's like a grayish I thought but no I thought taupe was like yellowy no it isn't nope well it basically looks like 70s furniture it's that kind of a color it's weird it's it works perfectly and the whole album is like that it's a good one for when I used to be on dates with girls and it would be like a couple dates in I would put this on when we were driving because it's like innocuous enough but still has a beat going and like maybe like the drowsy drowsy like sadness of it kind of gets them like a little horny so it t- tended to work but it's definitely one of those where it takes a long time to get where it's going and these days I generally don't have the time to like feel this way for this long anymore but when it came out it was very much like you are miserable. Here's music for being miserable, and it's all about like unrequited love. And but sometimes it's also hopeful too, which can be nice. And you know, I always have time for misery. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Sure, sure. Another quick one, Var. It's a side project. It's a dude from um, Elias Reinbender, Feinbender, whatever his name is, from Ice Age, Loki Rabeck from. Posh Isolation, a bunch of other people. Var was called War, or it was called War, and then Var, Var, and then War. Danish project, uh, post-punk, weirdo music. Margaret Char Diet from Pharmacon does spoken word on one of the tracks. They've got a bunch of other people in. One song has like a weird, almost like breakbeat kind of a thing to it. Some of them have trumpets and French horns, and it's this very like eclectic, but still fairly cohesive album uh, called No One Dances Quite Like My Brothers that's sad, but like funky, keeps you going. Uh, it's 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 a weird one. Well, I don't have the information on me, but the second song is And the World Burn or the, something like that. And that's, that's like one of those songs where the whole rest of the album's good, but that one, they kind of, it's way more poppy and less abstract, and they just fucking nail it. It's got this very, like, simple little synth thing, and these couple of moments of, like, little, like, like, mm, like emotional, like, yeah. kick-in part, and the whole album is worth the price of admission for that song. It's just really, 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 really good, and... This this album makes the list just for that alone.
this one maybe maybe the 2013 maybe the the next year did a fair amount of banging to it as well i also went on a cruise a couple years later and it's like really fun cruise music for when you're like all despondent on the top deck and like oh yeah i can't even drink like i'm just looking at the ocean on this cruise ship and like, <laughs> it's kind of like the vibe i was going for there's a lot of less for youth a lot of bar and uh it definitely falls in that nexus of like skinny white European dudes making like music for like sad, sad fuck parties and coke parties and caviar eating and also just like being young and beautiful and sad about it. You know, it's it's pretty cool. So I it's not as good of an album as You're Nothing by Ice Age, but I definitely listen to it more because it has it's a little it's a little easier on the years in some ways. So, last two. <laughs> Violet Shaped by Violet Shaped on the label. Violet Shaped. Oh, I was really hoping it'd be something else. No. Shaped like a violet. So I, I, I have to include this one again because two things. The song Spectral, Spectral Night Drive, which reminds me specifically of Autiker's remix of Keenel on the weird Jesscom compilation-ish type release called, I forget if it was on this or that, but they did two records called This and That on Scam back in the mid nineties. They did this one like kick crunchy thing oriented deal. It, it reminds me of this. It's like a weird thing, but that song goes way back and I don't know, like pulls a weird thread for me. The song starts to break down halfway through. So this is a techno album, but it's very much like a quote, industrial techno album. And the song starts to break down into this like sputtering kick. And it's it's like this very, it's very good. It, it, like it breaks down, but like gets faster, not mm-hmm. so much in the tempo, but like the way that they modulate the kick and they do all this stuff. And it's really, I think that's the, the shaped noise part of it. And uh, that song is amazing. The rest of the album is good, but it's really clunky and doesn't have that sort of transcendent moment in any other song at any other time. It's can be relatively expensive to get. So if you're not like just in love with this type of shit, then I might skip it. But the album was the fruit of the labor between Violet Poison and Shaped Noise, who have both gone on to do a lot of stuff. I fucking love Violet Poison, and he'll come up again on his debut album later uh, in a later episode. But this is how I found out about him. And he did a tape on Hospital, as did Shaped Noise, and around the same time they were doing this project together. And then there was two EPs that came out that were remixes of songs from this album and also uh they did one ep before the album it's it's a the artwork's cool the records sound really good it's 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 a really good like quote again like i i think think industrial techno is such a bullshit label but it's like a heavy weird fucked up techno like really heavy stuff and I think that Violet Noise, Violet Poison stuff since is a little bit more interesting because he's really incorporated the whole like giallo 80s aesthetic into his mm-hmm. music in a way that's really worked for him. And Shaped Noise has 
at times been more abstract and more club friendly, but I'm just not as into his work. But basically all I'll say is Spectral Night Drive is the one you need to hear from this. And I think it was Grisha Lichtenberger who did the remix on the remix EPs of that specific song. And it's pretty nuts. Roderick of Godflesh Flame, Godflesh Fame also does a remix that turns one of the songs into like an us and them era Godflesh industrial dirge with a fucking breakbeat. And like, are you kidding me? Is this 1998? And are you fucking like smacking me with your big fat dick? Because this is yes, it's it's really like it's a lot of fun. It's such a throwback. It's such a weird one, but yeah. And to wrap it all up. We have Livity Sounds compilation on Livity Sound by Li- by Livity Sound. No, <laughs> it's so for those who don't know Livity Sound, it is a label, uh, quote UK based dubstep techno whatever label. In the beginning, it was Cowton, Paveralist, Asusu, and I think that's it. I think that's that's all that's on the comp. And basically, the compilation plays out a lot like the first two Skull... Well, the only two Skullboy disco compilations, which is... It's just all the 12 inches that had come out up to that point. But because of the sort of focus of... Well, I would say the respect for the same types of elements and focuses, even though some of the approaches can be vastly different, it works really well. And Asusu is, I think, the star of it because... He goes from like these really gorgeous like Detroit techno tracks or like Chicago housey like spacey like oh like this is this is like like a fucking Alka Seltzer like I feel like my brain is cleared up and shit type of songs to these like manic percussive workouts. There's this one called Velez that's just like oh my god it's like like does it does this like synth thing and then these these like clappy like drum parts come in and it just it's these like staggered i don't know how to describe it it's like a staircase sounding types of these sounds and they come in but then they they like jitter and it's just like really they're they're weapons 
in the sense that they're super stripped down, but they only work in conjunction with other Livity sounds. They are yeah. like Legos. Like, they don't work with Mega Blocks, you know? And uh, they're just... They're all monstrous. And then there's another... There's Paveralis has a song called Saltwater that has... When the... Like, the, there's this main little, like, thing that's like... No, no, that's, like, literally how the sound no, sounds. And it's like, you're like, oh, this is fun. It's like... It's very playful. And then the bass comes in. It's like... And, like, your whole house shakes because this fucker's... It just sounds like they put a whole club system in a giant Olympic-sized swimming pool. And then they turned it up to full volume and it just started going and uh, it's a monster. like start and end with this song called enough time no no that's a different one fuck under the radar i think is what it is and it's like two versions of the same kind of thing they they have all this like vinyl crackle and just chilled out beat and it's just it's each cd is a burrito of just this like weird bizarre their whole vibe in the very beginning was they used these um i forget the like some kind of like tropical uh, native cultures masks which they got a bunch of flack for and then they changed all the visuals and shit but basically they look like uh like um what are inca like there's inca aztecs and who are the other ones mayan it's like the mayan are like aztec type mask carving type things and they have what feels very much like you're kind of getting in your head as like a white boy like this is like could could be sort of like influenced by that kind of exotic tropical like rainforesty vibes in this stuff focused through like british club music and then the other big highlight of the whole compilation is this other susu track called too much time has passed which is like it's just stupid good it's this like dub techno song that just belongs on chain reaction it's that quality and uh i don't i don't like to put comps on here but it is like 
to name any one of those 12 inches is kind of silly when you can get all of them together and like the Soundboy disco compilations or Skull Disco compilations of Soundboy punishments. Um, it's It can be a little much to listen to both discs back to back. You don't really need to do that, but you can do that. And if you even just listen to one disc, you can appreciate the breadth of sound that they had from the very beginning. And also like the excellence of basically every single track these guys put out for a while. It's just like fucking awesome. So that is my, those are all of my recommendations. My exhaustive, even for me, list <laughs> for 2013. But you can see 2014 is 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 uh, mercifully shorter. Yeah, so, so we're going to have to group with 2015. Otherwise, this is going to be a nine-part, a ten-part series. Uh, so thank you guys for tuning in uh, to the one podcast that will go when all of this society is crumbled beneath the coronavirus and the FEMA death camps start. So we are the rebellion. So anyway, FEMA death camps... <laughs> We'll be here. And uh, until then, later, nerds. Later.